welcome all of our campuses to the second week of our series entitled Unexpected. Come on, can we just welcome all those that are joining us? Man, it's exciting to have everyone. So I said last week, I'll say it again, I love this time of the year. And one of the reasons why is there's this sense of anticipation. Can you guys feel it? Matter, matter of fact, Christians, people that are not Christian, there's a sense in the air. It's like, man, Christmas. Matter of fact, there may be some people that have really no idea what this whole thing's even about. And yet there's an anticipation in them. Whether it's shopping and who's going to get over and come and what family are coming in town and out of town. But for the believer, for those that know Christ, oh man, there is an expectation in our hearts. The reality is, is that in a sense, we are all, I would say it this way, moving towards Christmas. You know, the Christmas story, I began last week talking about the shepherds. In a sense, they were moving towards Christmas Next week, I'm going to talk about Mary and Joseph and, and watch this, their journey towards Christmas. Of course, it's not too early to begin to invite people to what I would call Christmas Eve services. I do want to qualify. It's technically, we, like at this campus, I think we have close to 40 or 50 services at all of our campuses, but, but this campus will have Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve service. That's Thursday, Christmas Eve, Eve, that's Friday, and Christmas Eve. So, again, there's lots of opportunities and for you to be able to invite people to. So I do want to say there's, there's, a, there's this sense, this anticipation that builds in the heart of each one of us during this time of the year. Expectations. Question, what do you do, what do you do when your expectation isn't fulfilled the way that you thought. Matter of fact, that was last week's message. The shepherds. They had an expectation. They got up in the morning time and they went to work. And I guess they put on their overalls. I don't know. And they got their coffee and they went off to work. Little did they know. Little did they know that that was the day when an angel of the Lord was going to speak to them. And everything was going to change. So, in a sense, their expectations were not met the way that they thought. How do you respond when your expectations are shifted? When things don't play out the way that you thought, maybe in your life, maybe in a relationship, maybe your expectation to get into a college or to do this or that or to start a business. When things shift, things don't go exactly the way that they planned. Today, I want to talk to you about another group of people in the Christmas story. I want to talk to you about the wise men. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And I want to talk to you about another group of people. And by the way, they had some expectations. They had some plans. And things shifted a little bit in their lives as well. I want to jump into this. And when I do jump in, I want to just say this. I've thought about this for years. I've been a pastor 23 years in ministry, nearly 30 years a Christian, 34 years, and I thought to myself, what if, everybody say, what if, what if this wouldn't have been wise men, but what if it would have been wise women? Come on, ladies. What, what if it had been wise ladies? Well, let me just tell you a couple differences right off the bat. How many know if it had been wise ladies, they'd have stopped and asked for directions? Come on, ladies. You know that men are too prideful to stop and ask for directions. Let me give you a couple other ones. If it had been wise women instead of wise men, they would have, well, they would have, they would have helped to deliver the baby. Come on, you know, 
They also would have brought practical gifts, not gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but baby wipes, diapers, and practical things. Let, let me give you another one. If it had been wise women, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. You would have not brought gold frame. You would have brought a meal. Can I have a witness in God's house? You don't have a baby without bringing a meal. Let me give you the last one. This is so funny. Matter of fact, I, I was thinking about this message this week, and I thought this is, this is, this is, probably, one of the, this is probably one of the funniest whole things. That, is that if it, had been, if it would have been wise, let me tell you, if it had been wise women, Instead of, instead of wise men. What do you think? What, what would have been the biggest difference? Come on, any, any ladies in here? What, just shout it out. Come on, just any campus. What would have been a difference? Just shout it out. Boy, y'all are really into this message this morning. <laughs> I think it would have been peace on earth and goodwill towards men. How about y'all? Just peaceful. Just pe Men have a tendency to just kind of ramp everything up. How many of y'all love all the moms, the wives, the daughters? How many love the ladies? Come on. We just bless the ladies. In this story, I want to talk to you about expectations and what took place in the lives of these wise men. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east. We don't know exactly which country. We do know they came from the east. Some theologians believe maybe modern-day Iran, kind of Persian area over there. They came from the east, and they came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Israel. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod had gathered all of the Jewish scribes and teachers of the word of God. And, and he began to say, and, and they told him there was a prophetic, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that the, the, the ruler of Israel wasn't going to come from Jerusalem. It was Bethlehem. Wow. The fulfillment of it. So he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you had found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed and behold the star which they'd seen in the east. Think about this. There was a star that led them from modern-day Iran, that area, all the way about 1,000 miles, first to Jerusalem, but then moved about seven miles over to Bethlehem. It's a star. The star had led them and gone before them till it came and stood over the young child. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, a house, I thought they were looking for a king. Where's the palace? Where's the palatial estate? A house. Some theologians actually believe that when the wise men got there, unlike the shepherds, the shepherds were there for the birth. Some theologians believe it could have been a month, maybe two months after that. Maybe they moved from that manger scene. Maybe they moved into a house. It was a very, a very basic setting, nonetheless. It wasn't anything fit for a king. And yet they came. 
And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. There are a couple of important characters in this story that I want to just unpack for you guys today. Number one, I want to talk to you about Herod. Herod was a very powerful, borderline crazy person, by the way. He was a great builder, a great builder of structures, a great builder of fortresses. matter of fact, if you went to Israel today, <clears throat> modern-day Israel, and if you had a tour guide, they would say this to you. They would talk about this structure was built during what's called the Herodian period. Herodian, the root is Herod. Herod was an amazing builder. I mean, massive structures. Matter of fact, if you go to the foundation of the temple today, you'll see a lot of these stones. They would call that. Those were stones from the Herodian period. Very magnificent builder. The problem was the guy was crazy. He killed his wife. He killed his kids. He killed his in-laws. I mean, there was a real mixture in his life. He wasn't a good family guy. Let me just say it that way. Is that fair enough to say? He ruled from 33 B.C. all the way to 4 A.D. He was the one that was ruling. Remember, Israel at the time was, it was under Roman rule. So they had Roman rule, and you've got this guy that's under Roman authority. He was Jewish, and yet he was, he was crazy. And yet in his heart, he knew there was something. There was something about the birth of the Christ child. So the next characters come on the scene, the wise men. I'll never forget when I was in fifth grade in school, I, I was given the part to sing. Uh, I, there, was, there was three of us. I'm going to talk about three here in just a moment. But, and, and I remember the song. You, you guys remember, we three kings of boy. Y'all remember that? The problem is, theologically, it's not really accurate. Technically, they weren't kings. They were wise men, magi. In other words, they would be like court advisors, like Daniel and Joseph was. So they weren't kings, per se. Now, they were brilliant. They were very influential men. And, and that there was a mystical side to them as well, where they would interpret prophecies and omens. They were very interesting people, scientists, but yet they were very mystical. And yet they were seekers of truth. They were seekers. And they see this star a thousand miles outside of Jerusalem, Bethlehem area, and they start following, they start following the star. Interesting. There were the wise men, there was Herod, and there was this moment. It's interesting when I began to think about the wise men, I began to think about what a seeker is. Matter of fact, we have seekers today. Somebody that's seeking, they're seeking God. We live in what I would consider, and I'm going to say this to all of our locations, those that are watching online, a very spiritual culture. What do I mean by that? I didn't say Christian. I didn't say biblical. I said spiritual. People are seeking today. I mean, look, you, you go into a typical bookstore today, and there are people, there's all kind of books about seeking spiritual guides and this and that and new age movement, and just, just a spiritual atmosphere. And yet, why is that? I'm going to tell you why that is. Because God created us that way. As a matter of fact, St. Augustine, or some would call him St. Augustine, said it this way. He said, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. In other words, there is a side to us 
When somebody doesn't know God, they know because there's an emptiness in them. And you can try to do exotic vacations or success, or you can try to titillate all the senses. You can go to the great extremes of, of whatever you want to go to to try to satisfy, but you can't satisfy the spiritual side of who you are without a relationship with God. In other words, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of mankind that can only be satisfied with God himself. These were the seekers. Question, are you on a quest? Maybe you've been going to exotic places and exotic things, attempting to meet a legitimate need, but through illegitimate means. It can never be met through sensuality. It can't be met through sex. It can't be met through success. It can't be met through anything. It can only be met ultimately through a relationship with Jesus Christ. These men were seekers. Are you a seeker? These guys I want to talk to you about today, how they were on a journey. And they were on a journey, and I want to talk to you about three things today. This is so fascinating. Number one, I want to talk to you about a sign. Everybody say a sign. Number two, I want to talk to you about a surprise. And then ultimately, I want to talk about a choice they made. A choice that they had, a choice that we have today. What do you do? What do you do when you've got a dream, you've got a hope, you've got an expectation that doesn't turn out the way that you thought? It's a choice to surrender or not. Number one, the sign. Number one, a sign. Look at verse 2. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? The wise men follow the star from the east. By the way, I do want to go on record as saying this. We say three wise men. There was not exactly. We don't know if there's three wise men. We do know there was three gifts. And that's where we ascertain that there's three wise Technically, we don't know. There could have been four, could have been five. But we do know that there's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so they arrive first in Jerusalem, not Bethlehem. First in Jerusalem, they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Look at verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. God supernaturally spoke to the wise men and Herod, by the way, saw the star. They saw this star, and God supernaturally spoke to them through a star. Question, Pastor, does God speak to us through creation? Well, the primary way that God wants to speak to us is through his word. God will speak as well through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. God will speak through preaching, but God will also speak through, God will speak through creation. In other words, God will go to great lengths to get our attention. Now, one of the things that we need to be careful in is that, yes, I believe that God will speak to us through creation, but we never worship the creation. We worship the creator. And I think that's where our culture is. They get, they get the price tag switch. They start, they look at a mountain peak and they're like, they start worshiping the creation. Now, we can, we can in awe say, that is amazing. But that is, that is a, man, let me say, that is a manufactured product and there's a manufacturer named God behind it. We don't, we don't worship the creation. We worship the creator. And yet you can see a mountain peak. You can see the ocean waves crashing in. And our hearts can be filled with awe, knowing there's, there's something behind that. And that something is a someone named God. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. I love this. Here's what he said. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power. In other words, there's something beyond creation. We don't worship creation. We enjoy creation. We worship God, the creator of creation. He says there's an internal power behind this, even his internal power in the Godhead. So God had gotten the attention of these wise men through a star. Question, what has God been speaking to you through? Through whom? Maybe a billboard. Maybe a program. Maybe, maybe an ad. Maybe you're driving down the street and something. Let me tell you, God, God uses things to get our attention. God uses people to get our attention. Maybe it was an aunt or an uncle or somebody that has been praying for you. and said, man, I've been praying for you. God's trying to get your attention. Because he loves you and he has a plan for your life. And how many times we don't see the signs? How many times we miss the message? I'll never forget when I was a ninth grader. I, was, <clears throat> I wanted to be a big football player. And, and I was a free safety for John Curtis. By the way, I think I'd like to go on record. John Curtis won their 27th state championship last night. I thought I'd just share that so that you can all enjoy that together. We, we, I, had, I got four texts from people that played for bro, that went to Brother Martin, and uh, we played Brother Martin. They came with sackcloth and ashes, repenting this morning. They were trash talking. <laughs> Thought I'd just share this. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you just, I don't know. But anyway, so <clears throat> I was a freshman free safety. I was 15 years old, talking about a sign. And this would have been, gosh, 1983 or 1984, and... That it was a Saturday afternoon. My mom told me, says, I don't want you going anywhere because somebody's coming to see you tonight. And I said, well, who's coming to see me tonight? He says, a very important person's going to come see you tonight. And I, I, and I was like, who's coming to see me tonight, mom? And, I, and so sure enough, I'm 15 years old. I'm a free safety playing football. And I open the door. And there in front of me is Steve Foley. Steve Foley was a free safety. Those of you that may know Steve, he's a very powerful, important guy. He played football at Jesuit, then he played at Tulane, then he played for the Denver Broncos. And he was an all-pro, just incredible, great Christian leader, just incredible. Matter of fact, his brother Mike comes to our church, and uh, Mike and Beth come to our church. And, and it was amazing. I couldn't believe it. I, I looked, and I said, what are you doing here? I have your football card. How many of y'all remember football cards? Y'all, how, many, how many of y'all remember football cards, baseball cards? I don't know if they still do those, but I said, it's amazing. And he says, well, he says, uh, your mom talked to me. I'm like, my mom. There it is again. <laughs> to this day, I don't know how my mom got a hold of Steve Foley, this all-pro free safety from the Denver Broncos. But here it is. He's, he's right there in front of me. And he says, I want to just take you out and just talk to you a little bit. And so we went to Taco Tico. Come on. Can I have a witness? Yeah. How many of y'all love some, how, how many of y'all would like to get you some Taco Tico? That, 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 was, that, was, that preceded Taco Bell. Can I have an amen? Taco Tico. Steve Foley took about three hours and shared his journey and his, his walk with God. Now Christ had transformed his life and what miracle God had done in his heart and here it is, this 28-year-old free safety for the Denver Broncos is just sharing his life with this 15-year-old kid. Now, and I know what some of you guys are thinking, and I know the story, Pastor, and so you started crying, and you broke down, and you confessed your sins. You were, I, I actually didn't. 
I actually didn't. It was some seeds that he planted. Watch this. And it was a sign on the road that led me to God. Question. What person has God brought into your life? What, what invitation has God given you? God, God, God will send signs. Now, now he'll ultimately, this, the greatest sign is his word, right? Matter of fact, I, I love when agnostic or atheists set out to disprove the validity of Christ and, you know, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. And so, and so they go to the wrong place. If you ever try to disprove God, don't open the Bible because there's been many atheists that have been converted by... Matter of fact, C.S. Lewis. How many have ever heard of C.S. Lewis before? The Chronicles of Narnia, right? He, he was a famous atheist in Oxford at, at Cambridge University. And he set out to disprove Christianity by reading the Bible. If you ever want to disprove Christianity, don't start with the Bible because in these words are life. It'll transform you. How many are grateful for the power of the Bible? The power of Christ that comes through the Word. Everybody say a sign. God was speaking to the wise men through a star, bringing them to the Christ child. Number one, the sign. Number two, the surprise. The surprise. Oh, were they surprised. They were looking. They knew the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures from, from Babylon, the Babylonians, the Jewish people that had infiltrated the Babylonian community when Babylon took over the Jewish nation. And so, so these wise men, they, they knew the messianic prophecies and the expectation of the Christ child. And, and they thought, by the way, just like the Jewish people thought, that there was a coming king that was going to restore, once again, the pristine power of a Jewish leader to bring the military and the political power back to the earth through the Jewish people. Just like David, just like Solomon. These wise men were looking for some palace. They, they, they thought that they were gonna come to this palatial estate with this powerful king. The last thing that they thought they were gonna see was what they actually saw. First, they came to Jerusalem, they started looking for the birth of this king and Herod gets the Jewish leaders around. I say, wait a minute, time out. No, he's not coming to Jerusalem. He's coming to Bethlehem. There's a prophecy in Micah, chapter 6, verse 2. Out of Bethlehem, the king shall be born, the Messiah. So they arrive to Bethlehem, seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And oh, they were waiting. They had anticipation, expectation. And when they come, they didn't see what they expected. Look at verse 11. Talk about a surprise. So when they'd come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother. Watch this. They were following a star, and they found a stable. Have you ever had a big dream and a big hope in your heart? And oh man, it was so, you're like, yes. And you've been believing for it and believing for it. And then it didn't quite come out the way you anticipated. You ever been there before? How do you respond to that? How do you respond in life when things don't work out exactly the way that you had dreamed? 
These wise men, oh man, they had a big dream and a big hope. They were following the star. They thought, here it is. We're going to see the king of Israel. I, how, big the, how big you think the throne's going to be? I don't know. It's going to be big, though. I remember David's. And so, oh, it's going to be huge. And here it is. They come to this little house. Now, I want to qualify. Some theologians believe that this may have been a month, maybe even two months, after the very birth of Christ. The shepherds, we know, were actually there when the baby when there was the actual birth. The wise men may have come just a few weeks or maybe a month or so. So whether it was in a, a, a farm stable or whether it moved into a house, it was a very humble, humble, humble place. Yeah. I often thought about what was the reason behind this. Why there? Why there? And then I was reminded of God's strategy all along. I never forget when I was in seminary taking a class on comparative religions. And I remember thinking about and taking this class on what is the distinctive difference between Christianity and all other world religion. It's really simple. The major difference between Christianity and all other religions is that every other world religion besides Christianity, you've got to do something, watch this, to reach up to God. Biblical Christianity, distinctively different from every other world religion, is what God did for us, watching this, watch this, coming down and becoming one of us. In, in, other words, in other words, we don't serve a God. When you become a follower of Christ, you don't serve a God that's way out there. You actually, let me tell you, serve a God who became just like you and I. The person of Christ, he didn't cease to become God. He was 100% God, 100% man. In other words, God in the flesh was in that house. Why is that important? Listen right here. Because you don't serve a God that doesn't get what you're going through. He gets you. You ever had a conversation with somebody and they just are totally clueless to what you've gone through? You start talking about life. They're perfect. Their kids are perfect. Their marriage is perfect. They're perfect. Their finances are perfect. They're just, they look perfect. They're perfect. And you're like, I'm like a loser. You ever been there before? I'm like, I can't relate to these people. I, I am so grateful that, that when you think about God, he's, he's, let me tell you something. The fact of the matter is, now let me clarify, Jesus never sinned, but he was tempted in all ways, just like us. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points. Everybody say all points. All points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's many people's concept of God. It's the Wizard of Oz. He's behind the curtains, pulling a string. Throw a lightning bolt. Wait, 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 wait. When I open the Bible, the incarnation. You know the word Emmanuel? You know what the word Emmanuel means? Here it is at the count of three. Can we just do it at the count of three? Let's just, we're going to give the definition of Emmanuel. Y'all want to do it? Yes? All right, here it is. One, two, three. God with us. Wow. Why did God become one of us? So that he could get us. He knows what you're going through. He knows the struggles that you're going through. Think about the betrayals that he went through. You ever been betrayed before? Hey, you ever been stabbed in the back before? You ever been disappointed by a family member before? 
How about you're walking with 12 guys. Listen to 12 guys for three and a half years. You give your life. One of them sells you for 30 pieces of silver. One of them denies you in the gar- in, in, in the little, to a little peasant girl. He denies you. Aren't you one of them? Nah, I'm not a Christian. Nah, I don't follow that guy. Jesus, nah, I don't. Only one shows up at the cross. Jesus, excuse me, John and Mary. Oh, he gets rejection. Yeah, yeah. Number one, they were following a star. But number two, they experienced a surprise. Question, how do you respond when things don't work out the way that you thought. There, this is a moment, and I want everybody at every campus to watch. This is, this is a moment. How do, you, how do you respond when life doesn't work out the way you thought? By the way, I want to just say this. Don't ever tell your kids that life is fair. Life's not fair. God's good, but life's not fair. Because if you work off of the presupposition that life is fair, what happens when things don't work out? God is good. God can take all things and work them together for your good and his glory. But, but life is, life, there's twists and there's turns and there's shifts and there's, there's changes. The question is, how do you respond? Number one, God sent a sign. God is talking to you. God is giving you signs to bring you to meet God. Number two, there's surprises. There's surprises in the journey. But number three, we have a choice. And I'll close with this. We have a choice. The wise men had a choice that day. And the choice is, will we surrender and worship or will we not? Verse 11 says that when the magi, when they got to that child, they paused and they went, oh. Now they could have took right that and go, you know what? We've been had. We've been, we've been lied to. This, is, this isn't a king. They could have gone back a thousand miles back home. How do you respond? Here's the moment. When life doesn't work out the way that you thought, how do you respond? Here's the moment. How do they respond? Look at verse 11. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. They worshiped. The temptation is when things don't work out the way that we thought, it's to hold back, to get mad at God, to get mad at others, to kind of hold yourself back. They, they didn't do that. They recognized, in spite of it not being exactly what they thought, they recognized that this moment was a holy moment and they needed to worship. In other words, they gave their all to God. I had a conversation with a couple one time in the foyer of the church, and literally, I, they had gone through so much loss, thing after thing after thing after thing. I'm kind of crying, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And, and I remember the lady, she, her words just pierced out. She goes, Pastor, all we had left to do was worship. By the way, that's real good. When you don't have anything else, let me tell you, when you don't know what else to do, worship. In other words, she didn't look within, she didn't look to the right, she didn't look to the left, she didn't look behind, she looked up. She says, I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. How many are grateful that we have God? Let me tell you, when all of life changes, we still have God. Well, the Bible says, the Bible says they fell at their face, they fell on their face, and they worshiped. How do you respond when life throws you 
curveball. How do you respond? You have a choice. I have a choice. We are positioning. We're positioned to go into a new year. And sometimes the disappointments of the past year can be brought into the new year. And by the way, it really hinders our ability to run with the speed that God has for our lives. Sometimes the weights that we're carrying down. Sometimes the disappointments, the hurts, and the kind of the bobos of the heart. Let me call it that, you know. Because things didn't work out the way we thought in a relationship with a kid, with a scenario in business. And, and I believe this is a moment here. I believe it's a moment here. It's almost like a line of demarcation. Lord, as I go into this new year, God, I'm going to go in worshiping. I don't understand everything. And by the way, can we let God, can you let yourself off the hook where you don't require yourself to understand everything before you worship? Yeah. I'm so grateful that we serve a God that can take any negative thing in our life and turn it around, ultimately, even some of our poor choices. Yeah, boy, that's big. That's risky for a pastor to say. Because we want the why. Why did this happen? And why? I don't know. Don't get hung up in the why. I'm talking to somebody right now. Don't get hung up in the why. Get hung up in the what now. I don't know all the answers to everything. I don't have all the philosophical, but I'm going to tell you, I know the what now. And by the way, they knew the what now. And they could have stayed there and said, you know what? It didn't look the way I thought. Things didn't work out the way I thought. But you know what they did? They decided not why, but what. What are we going to do? We're going to worship. We're going to worship. We're going to worship. We're, going to, we're not going to hold back. By the way, as you go into 2023, don't hold back. Don't hold back from God. Quit demanding from God all the answers of your past and just say, you know what? Just make a decision. I can't figure out everything, but I'm going to look to tomorrow. That God is for me. God's not against me. God's working on my behalf. And I'm going to worship. Everyone say worship. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to worship God. I saw a sign. It brought me. There was a surprise. It didn't look exactly. But I'm going to still make a choice to surrender and worship. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to give my all. I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship. Sometimes that's all we can do. By the way, that's a great. The story doesn't end there. They went through that moment. Some theologians actually believe that they were the first pagan converts to Christianity. Do you know how many people are going to be talking? How many preachers are opening the Bible this week, next week, and throughout all the billions, just billions of people that will be in church hearing about the wise men? We don't know their names, but we know the difference that they made in the lives of people because they followed, they were surprised, but they still worshiped. I don't know where your relationship is with God, but can I tell you something? God is a good God, and he wants to forgive you Love you. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you and to set you free. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. Every single one of our campuses, we just come before the Lord. I just sense the love and the presence of Jesus right now. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I believe that God has brought you here today through a sign, maybe an ad, an invitation, somebody at work. It doesn't matter. God has brought you here. Just like he brought the wise men, he brought them to the Christ child. The Bible says whoever calls upon that name, the name of Jesus, will be saved. I can't save you. Church of the King can't save you. Being a member of a church doesn't save you. But I tell you who can save. 
His name is Jesus. Do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today that you're ready to stand before God? In just a moment, the count of three, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you, but wherever you are, maybe those that are joining us online that are watching right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to Christ. If you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I, I need the blood of Jesus to wash me, to cleanse me, to make me new. If that's you, they count of three. Would you just lift your hand up high? Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. One, two, three. Quickly, hold your hand up high so I can see it. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you and you and you. God bless you up top, sir, right there. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you and you. Anybody else over here? These ladies right here. Yeah. The presence of God is here. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am, right there. Yeah. Church family, let's pray with those that are trusting Christ right now. Can we do that? With everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, all of our locations, we're going to pray together. This is the most important prayer that anybody could ever pray. It's a prayer of decision, trusting Christ as their Savior. Let's pray together. Say, dear Jesus, come on, everyone. Dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Say this. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. I want you to say this. Say, Jesus, I take my life and I put it in your hands. From this day forward, I belong to you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the sealing word of the Holy Spirit and the work of God taking root deep in their hearts, oh God. Wow, what an amazing time in church together today. If you're here today and you're making the decision to follow Christ for the first time, we want to celebrate you and say congratulations. That's a huge deal. When you make that decision, the Bible said that God, says that God is faithful to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You're made right with God and that you can live this new life with Christ free from guilt and shame from your past. That's a big deal and it's so exciting and we're excited for you. In fact, your next step right now is to let someone know that you've made this decision. Yes, in fact, there's going to be a link that pops up on the screen or in the chat. Click that link because this is full of resources that are going to help you walk out your new life with Christ. And again, congratulations. We're so proud of you. Yes, absolutely. Well, that does it for us. We're, we're so excited to celebrate this Christmas season with all of you. We have one more week of our Christmas series entitled Unexpected and Unlikely Christmas. We love you guys. We pray you have a great rest of your week and we'll see you same time. Same place. Bye guys.